Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, people who matter. That means you, fans of the New Jersey Devils. And welcome back to another year of the Garden State of Hockey podcast. It's officially 2022, which means that, of course, the Devils start the year in a winning fashion. And they have um, just completed their victory against the Washington Capitals for their first three-game win streak since about mid-November. And, John, our last episode featured a lot of uh, airing of grievances, that you know, specific mm-hmm. things that we'd like to see changed about the Devils. So, John Fisher... Can you take us through how the Devils have addressed those things to create this three-game winning streak that they have right now with some tougher opponents included? Well, Dan, I'm going to be that guy and tell you they didn't really address much of anything. Mm. <laughs> they didn't They didn't really um, change any of their uh, systems. They didn't really make any notable adjustments to how they perform. Um, however, they did get fortunate that uh, – Against Buffalo, they uh, brought the house against Buffalo, who were missing their head coach due to COVID protocol and a couple other notable players. And the Devils definitely outplayed uh, Buffalo in that game against Edmonton. The finishing that was lacking for pretty much most of the month, uh, as the Devils finished the month just a hair above 7% in five on five, which is one of the lower shooting percentages in the league. But they found it against Edmonton and uh, won a goal fest. Uh, amid some controversy mm. that we're going to go over when we get there. Mm-hmm. And just before we hit uh, go on this particular call to record this episode for you, the people who matter, uh, the Devils put in a very good, maybe their best effort, legitimate effort on the road against a legitimate opponent, no disrespect to Buffalo, mm. um, <laughs> wherein the Devils did a very good job. And despite Mackenzie Blackwood's best intentions, the Devils pulled out the W. Um, and, yeah, so um, despite his obvious uh, point-shaving strategy there, the Devils win in Washington with a stat coming from Amanda Stein. For the first time since January 11th, 2020, um, it's been a while. They also, you know, the teams met eight times last season with the Devils winning zero of those yep. meetings, as was well-documented on this very podcast, with each meeting being more frustrating than the last and I'm comfortable saying that this is a game that the way it went, they, they lose an overtime or the shootout 10 times out of 10 last season. And for some reason, uh, amid this winning streak, they managed to pull out this win. But let's start with their game against the Buffalo Sabres, their first game uh, back from their uh, COVID-induced break in play. 
Right. And that does include a postponement of what was supposed to be their return from the holiday break in St. Louis, mm-hmm. which is a, which is beneficial because, Dan, let me tell you, St. Louis is really, really good. Yep. And the Devils are not. Yep. So instead, they go play a team that's closer to the Devils level. And uh, again, Don, uh, Don Granado, a.k.a. Donnie Meatballs, as the fans have called him, um, stereotypes aside here, he has actually tried to make the most out of you know what in Buffalo. Um, but the Devils came out and really just pounded Buffalo over and over again with attempt after attempt after attempt, shot after shot after shot. Some of these shots were within close range, but the Devils got the breaks, so to speak, um, with some long shots finally getting through or creating rebounds or creating tip opportunities mm-hmm. that have led to goals. And that for that, you got Dougie Hamilton firing a shot that got past Nathan Bastion and the goaltender. That's a power play goal to open the scoring of Buffalo. Jesper Bratt, you know, redirects in a shot that was originally created by PK Subban. It's now two nothing. And then later in the game, um, Jack Hughes puts home a, or a really awkward rebound attempt uh, past the goaltender and Yeager Sharon Govich gets another deflection uh, for Ty Smith's long shot. And those are your, how the Devils scored four goals. Of course, the Devils did their best to make this a struggle as uh, Mackenzie Blackwood uh, was beaten twice by Tage Thompson in the second period mm-hmm. and gave up a, uh, the first professional goal to Ethan Prow, who I'm not convinced is a real person, <laughs> but uh, nobody picked up Prow activating and nobody was on the right side when Blackwood kicked the rebound that way. So Prow pretty much had um, had his first goal ser- served up to him on a platter. So it was four to three uh, for the final five minutes of the game. Or, but the Devils won. It was your first win after six straight losses. Anytime you win a game after six straight losses, you just kind of have to welcome it. You just have mm-hmm. to say, I'm happy you won this game. Even happier that Brat had a great night. Jack Hughes had a great night. Sharon Govich got on the score sheet a bunch of times. You got a power play goal. So lots of positives outside of Mr. Blackwood and whatever Tage Thompson was on that evening. Yeah, so that was... Well, you look at that game and you say, well, that's Buffalo. Okay. So it's something that the teams came into that game with identical 10, 15 and five records. And it's not where you want to be as a Devils fan. And as a Sabres fan, I don't think this was the year that they were supposed to turn the corner anyway, but it's hard to tell for whom it's more embarrassing, but the Devils did get that win. And you think, okay, Mm -hmm. turning the corner against Buffalo is one thing. Then they have encounters coming up against Edmonton and um, Washington and the Edmonton encounter, Connor McDavid is not a player the likes of which they go against um, very often. He's someone that you cannot keep off the score sheet, no matter how hard you try, you have to mitigate his damage. And the devils uh, tried their best to mitigate his damage and And failed. (laughs) Well, the answer that the devils came up with was rely on Mike Smith to be a worse goaltender than Mackenzie Blackwood that night. And not to get lost in all of this, uh, Mackenzie Blackwood has been bad. He's been Oh yeah. Pretty bad. These last couple of games and the devils are winning uh, despite that. So uh, the devils decided if you're not going to be able to keep McDavid off the score sheet, might as well try to outscore him. And this game was an absolute bar burner from the very beginning. Oh, absolutely. Um, Jesse Pulger Varvey, one of the worst skaters on Edmonton that uh, afternoon committed a penalty early in the game and uh, the devils, Mark Recchi, Three on five, uh, or I'm sorry, three on four power play offense yielded a goal. Dougie Hamilton set up Jack Hughes for a one-timer from the circle. Bastion was kind of in front of Smith, but I think, you know, the, the one-timer was going to beat Smith regardless. Nevertheless, it's one nothing uh, just over 
just under 100 seconds into the game. About a minute later, Connor McDavid gets lost in coverage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For the initial design for was to have Michael McLeod match against Connor McDavid. And Dan, let me tell you, that didn't last, and that was a bad idea. Uh, Connor McDavid uh, getting lost in coverage. Oh, um, I mean, there's only one man in the world that you should never lose in coverage, Dan. Mm-hmm. It might be the best player in the world. Well, he got lost in coverage. Ryan McLeod, Michael's brother, found him back door one to one, and then. Just a shift later, mm-hmm. just a shift later, Nico Heischer finds a rebound from a Jesper Bokvist shot. He's behind Darnell's nurse, despite nurse being larger, beefier, stronger, more Canadian than Nico Heischer. Um, well, positioning matters more than size. Heischer banks in a sh- puck off of uh, Mike Smith's skates, goes right over the line. It's now two to one. And then and so, so, so up- far, who scored? Hughes, McDavid, Heischer. We got one, one, one. Yeah, first overall pick, first overall pick, first overall pick. One of the very few times that has happened. In and the other history. one that would be involved in this game uh, was not participating, I think, due to injury, right? Right, Nugent Hopkins? Yeah. No, Nugent Hopkins was in the game. In fact, he got the oh. secondary assist of Kyler Yamamoto's goal. Oh, I uh, he his, was his one. Okay. No, he was in this game. Um, nice. Marion Studenich coughed up a terrible turnover to Nugent Hopkins, by the way. Uh, one of those turnovers that makes you wonder, son, you're going back to Utica with that type of play. Uh, Nugent Hopkins throw, throws it back to Slater Kukuk. Kukuk fires a long shot despite Dougie Hamilton tying up the five foot eight Kyler Yamamoto. Again, positioning matters more than size. Yamamoto had the right positioning, get a stick out, redirects the, the shot by Kukuk. It's now two to two, six minutes into the game. But we're not done yet, Dan. <laughs> it keeps we're not done going. Yet. It keeps going. No. The, um, the former defensive coach of the New York Rangers, uh, Lindy Ruff, not behind the bench for this one. And there's just zero defense no. played uh, by either team in this game. We would have no. just a salvo of goals exchanged over the next couple of periods. Right. And in the first period, the scoring ended with uh, Dawson Mercer getting a dime from Andreas Johnson. I'm sorry, Andreas. I can always mix it up if it's soft J or hard J. Andreas Johnson, mm-hmm. who both Mercer and Johnson have been cold throughout December. They have not been hitting the score sheet for various reasons, but this time they did. Johnson flips a puck open to Mercer. Mercer beats Smith's short side on a goal that looked great for Mercer, a goal that looked bad for Mike Smith. It's now three to two New Jersey. And amazingly, Blackwood and Smith stop all the other shots in that period. There were a combined 27 shots in that first period, Dan. Mm. Uh, it ends three to two in favor of New Jersey. And you're thinking, okay, I expected a lot worse considering I expected Connor McDavid to, uh, you know, drop a hattie, you know, on his first three shots. Right. That did not happen. However, he did get a brace in the second period. Mm-hmm. And it, it's interesting. It, it felt like there's a few, I don't think there were, despite the fact that there were 10 goals scored in regular play in this game, I don't think there were too many that were, Oh, the goalie's going to want that one back, but they were definitely there. Um, I, I just want to get to the moment that I think. Oh yeah. Was the highlight for this game. I'm getting there, Dan. Yeah. I'm getting there. But first I do have to mention in the second period, Edmonton did tie it up. There was only one goal scored one really bad line change by the devils. Mm. Uh, I understand Smith was tired. I understand other players were tired. I get it. Second it's period. The last person shift. in the world you want on a breakaway. Done. When you <laughs> when you need to change, you need to make sure you either get the puck into a place where Edmonton can't do anything with it or you have the puck yourselves. Instead, Duncan Keith saw this line change and said, aha, 
let me throw it to the best player in the world. The best player in the world goes off on a breakaway. Um, and this may shock you, Dan, but McDavid scored on a breakaway. Yeah. Um, I don't care if you're Mark Tambrador, Mackenzie Blackwood, Dominic Hoshik, like you're just asking for, you're just asking for the GA at that point. And body language is going in 10 times out of 10. <laughs> exactly. But then we get to the third period and we have another salvo of goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yannick Kwakinen appears for the first time in this month. That's a bit of a joke, but he has been also really bad this month too. Mm-hmm. Uh, picks up, picks, you know, Johnson picks him up as a trailing shooter. Kwakinen hammers a shot past Mike Smith. It's now four to three. Then we get one of my favorite examples of why the defensive uh, zone coverage system of the Devils is has flaws as McLeod beats Ty Smith to go into the corner because. Nazardine and Ruff have commanded that the Devils overload on the puck carrier in those situations. So Subban leaves the front of the net to go help Smith. Ryan McLeod looked over his shoulder and saw, aha, there's space in front of the net. Mm-hmm. Pass to a cutting Devin Shore, point blank shot for the G for the GA four to four. You know, people are mad at Blackwood. I'm mad at the, the overload. And then we get to the controversy, Dan. Okay. So the play is uh it's a delayed call on the devils and first Mm -hmm. there's a touch-up on a clearing attempt by uh jack hughes no hamilton oh sorry hamilton first sorry sorry hamilton uh tries to sweep it out first it goes to uh it goes back to edmonton and then there's another attempt to play it out where jack hughes makes contact with the puck neither Mm -hmm. play is enough to warrant blowing dead uh you know blowing the whistle to call the actual penalty Edmonton scores. And what happens subsequently is the referees going over to review the play saying, okay, I guess we just missed that the devil's challenge. And that in the challenge, it takes 10 minutes to determine that actually this play was unchallengeable. Um, It's like going to VAR just to be told that, Oh, sorry, we could never go to VAR legally. Uh, this wasn't a play that could actually be even be reviewed. And so the goal stood despite the fact that there were two very obvious touch-ups made by the devils and it doesn't have to be possession of the puck. It was, it was not ambiguous that the puck was touched by the devils there. Correct. We, we have seen many times in our, in the hundreds, if not thousands of hockey games that you and I have watched that people have, the people who matter have watched that it doesn't take a lot to blow that whistle for a delayed call. In fact, we even if, if once uh, several years ago, I'm dating myself with this reference. The Devils had a goal taken back because Columbus touched up during a uh, delayed call that wiped out a goal by Adam Henrique. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't a full possession touch either. It was literally just they touched the puck and, you know, they challenge. Um, I don't know if it was a challenge, but it was definitely reviewed. In any case, it doesn't take much to blow the whistle. But Francois St. Laurent and Dean Morton, who are the who are the referees of that game, absolutely botched this they swallowed their whistles there and instead of admitting to their mistake you know admitting to their mistake that they're not blowing the whistles led to duncan key touching the get you know his pass to dry was the one touched by uh hughes dry found yamamoto back door so even if the goal was legitimate which i don't believe it was and i'm not going to pretend that it is because i'm not going to insult the people's intelligence nor yours dan nor my Mm -hmm. own Mm -hmm. but um you know but the record is what the record is. So Blackwood is marked for five goals against when it really should have been four. But even then, you know, it's backdoor. What do you? What did you want from Blackwood on that play? But nevertheless, Francois Saint Laurent and D Morton made a mistake. 
Then they made a second mistake by when they went over to Nazardine and Nazardine said, well, can I challenge? And presumably they, the rest told him, yes, you can. Mm-hmm. So that he did. And then I don't know how it took 10 minutes for Toronto to tell these two, no, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. See, this is the sort of stuff that invites conspiracy theories by fans that the referees have it in for certain teams. Like it's not completely out of the realm of conspiracy to say that referees like to even up the calls. You know, they don't want to show that one team gets 10 penalties. The other only team gets one. They do look for, you know, uh, semblance of balance per se, unless mm-hmm. it's deadly obvious, but Francois St. Laurent and Dean Morton, I do not understand how they were not told within 30 seconds by Toronto. I'm sorry. According to the rules, you can't cha- That can't be challengeable. Sorry. It took uh, so like, long, but it was just, it, it seems so obvious that it should be called back. Correct. And, and St. Saint Laurent, I believe he was the one who uh, made the announcement, um, you know, sounded so unsure of himself that it's almost as if these guys just didn't want to admit that they make a mistake for a league and a sport that highlights character and, and pride. You know, it's amazing how soft and how unwilling and how weak minded, you know, the officials are to say, yeah, we made a mistake. It would have been nice if they even just went back to Nazardine shortly after the call with Toronto and just said, I'm sorry, you couldn't challenge this. We're just going to count it. Sorry. Or, or as you said, call it back to say, Hey guys, no, this, this is not a legal play. Mm-hmm. It should have been called. And, you know, you know, the prior to the holiday break and the post uh, COVID postponement stand, we had a howler, a howler of a decision of an attempted butt ending, which I'm pretty sure is not in the rule book. So beyond, so it's beyond me that they couldn't have made a similar uh, judgment call in this case, and just take that goal off the board. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's definitely frustrating because guess what, Dan, this goal made it five to four in favor of Edmonton. They yeah, could have won this game. This could have been the game-winning goal. <laughs> after the Devils had played such a good game uh, throughout, it was just—it was so disappointing to see it, you know, come down to something like that. And so, it was very poetic to see the Devils really tied up on a goal that earlier in the season they were kind of clamoring for. But with this recent stretch, Jaeger Sharangovich has come alive um, with you know Hughes returning to the lineup and then being put back together. He ends yes. up tying the game with what was it, thirty-one seconds left. 32 technically, but you're not wrong. Okay, fine. <laughs> Thir- at, at most 31 seconds left. Yeah, he, he redirected in a long shot from Hamilton. So again, it's another example of the Devils. They've been relying on long shots all season long, but they're getting their tip-ins all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. So credit to them. They got they made it 5-5. And then we go to overtime. And who is the hero, Dan? Yeah, it's the, the real deal is the hero, but really Mike Smith is the hero because... <laughs> Uh, this was a very savable shot, but credit to Hughes for using world's number one player, Connor McDavid, as a screen against the very vulnerable, apparently, Mike Smith, whose return had been greatly anticipated by um, the Edmonton Oilers just to see that happen. So I guess he was still a little rusty, but a very speculative shot from Jack Hughes gets through the Devils win in overtime, and you love to see it. It's I think it was from... Um, Sharon Govich and Smith, right? I don't remember. No, it was Hugh. No, uh, it was from Hughes, from Brat and Severson. So Severson oh. had the first touch. Brat, um, who curled around, this was technically his 20th assist, laid it off for Hughes. And as you said, Hughes took a speculative shot, which is not always what you want to do in overtime, since, you know, anytime you lose the possession of the puck, even if it's for a shot on net, you're basically rolling the dice. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, Smith um, couldn't handle the heat. And the puck dropped in and um, 
you know, this is the, you know, Edmonton has been kind of struggling as of late. I don't want to turn, go off on a rant here. This might become a future post, mm-hmm. but the Edmonton Oilers are a fantastic example of what I like to call the Connor McDavid delusion. It's not that Connor McDavid isn't the best player in the world. He is. And mm-hmm. to, you know, he still scored two goals in this game. Like he yep. showed up, he did his job and Leon Dreisaitl, you know, he's, he's arguably the best German NHLer ever. You know, they got some good players on that team in Edmonton, but Edmonton is a great example of how you can have the greatest first overall pick in the last 20 something years. And you could still be not a guarantee to make the playoffs because everything around them is bad. They're relying on a 41 year old Mike Smith. As you Uh said, they were waiting for his return. Uh I mean, how, how do you not, you have this guy locked up for the best years of his hockey life and you're not a Stanley cup contender. Like it just goes to show you that those who lament that Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes aren't Connor McDavid level or Austin Matthews level guys, it takes a lot more than just getting, you know, the greatest player in the world on your team to be good. You Uh need to have a team and Edmonton in this game. um, While they definitely got some depth scoring, they got, you know, points from Ryan McLeod. They got a goal from Devin Shore. Um, Yamamoto getting on the score sheet helps them a lot. Um, so, I mean, you can't say that they didn't produce, but at the same time, you look at that defense and you look at the fact they're reliant on the, the tandem of Miko Koskinen and Mike Smith. No, Dan, this is a team that could still miss the playoffs despite Connor McDavid possibly, you know, dropping 100 points again. Mm-hmm. That's how it is. Yeah, so, you know, the, the points may be the points they you want to see them as an indication of a player's growth and productivity, but it doesn't necessarily indicate team success as we've seen with them, as we've seen with, you know, the fact that the, some of the greatest scorers just keep on missing the playoffs. It's, it's really weird, but we do want to see progress from players that are still, you know, sub 23 years old. They just have room to grow once they stop getting points every year. Let's look at Pavel Zaka, for example, who Great during example. this stretch of three games, has not really done too, too much to contribute to them winning those games. But again, you just kind of think he's at a threshold at this point. He's been up and down the lineup, especially with Tatar out. He's probably playing higher up than he will when he's back at this point. Well, Zaka has this opportunity to, because Tatar's out of the lineup Mm -hmm. and because, you know, we're seeing Jesper Bokvist up high in the lineup as well, who, by the way, is acquitting himself a little bit better than I honestly expected. Um, between him and Studenich in terms of call-ups that have joined the uh, team out of necessity, you know, I would say Bokvist has been the better player. Nevertheless, back to Zaka. Zaka strikes me very much more like this generation's Victor Kozlov, a guy mm-hmm. who seemingly has all the tools. And when he, when he flashes, it's so great. And you just go, okay, he's finally got it together. All right, this is going to be great. It's Zaka time. And then he just goes cold. And then it's just like, he's just kind of there on the ice. He's not doing much. He's not necessarily generating a lot of good things out there. I mean, say what you want about Jesper Volkvist not finishing his chances. At least he's getting the chances. Is Zaka getting the chances? I can tell you in today's game, the answer is not really. Mm-mm. And, and and that's a nice segue into today's game. And today's game uh, had the Devils facing an opponent that they had not beaten uh, very in a very, very long time. They had lost nine yeah. straight against the Washington Capitals, um, including every game last season, as we talked about the last time they lost the Capitals this year. But um, they're in Washington to start a two-game road trip, uh, concluding against the Bruins tomorrow. So the Devils, 
Uh, this is a big moment for them. This is the toughest team they face because, as you said, Edmonton was slumping. Buffalo is not very good. Can they keep up the momentum on the road against a team that has dominated them, that has dominated them of mm-hmm. late and really over the last five years? Um, this is going to be a very, very tough game for them. The Devils get off to a very, very good start, um, almost immediately taking a 2 nothing lead. But again, just at the end of the period, at the very, very last minute, they do give up a goal to let Washington back in. Yeah, so this first period was a really good road period for the Devils, Mm -hmm. um, to use that cliche. Like the Devils, you know, they came out with good pace. They came out with good effort. They actually ended up out shooting uh, the Capitals and out out attempting them, out chancing them, out high danger chancing them, which is is incredible. Uh, Washington's defense was just out of sorts from the get-go in this game. And the Devils picked up on that and uh, made them pay the price a couple of times. We got... Uh, or, or first off, Mr. Sharon Govich gets back on the board again. Uh, Mr. Hughes sets him up. You know, it's one nothing. And then about a minute later, Dawson Mercer throws a dime across mm-hmm. to Damon Severson, who gets lost in coverage back door. You know, it's now two nothing. And the Devils were close to making it three nothing a couple times. And the Devils were doing very well. Like Alexander Ovechkin was held in general check for this game. Now, granted, that's. You know, we're still talking about a guy that got, you know, three shots on net in this game. But normally for Mr. Ovechkin, um, you know, he gets like five, six, seven. And he, he attempted 11 shots overall, Dan. So it's mm-hmm. not like he wasn't trying. Oh, yeah. It's Alexander Ovechkin, everybody. But the fact the fact of the matter is that the Devils were doing a very good job. Um, bad news happens uh, in the middle around a little bit past the middle of the period where a puck hits Dougie Hamilton in the face, mm-hmm. uh, caught him in the jaw. He left the game and ended up. Uh, not returning at all. So the Devils are limited to five defensemen. And then we get some nonsense. Um, not some nonsense per se, but kind of nonsense. We, we have more nonsense later. Uh, Jonas Siegenthaler decides to trip Lars Eller. Eller doesn't like it, so he slashes at Siegenthaler uh, in the aftermath. Both of them get two minutes for that. And the Devils just kind of got loose in four-on-four. Uh, they try to deny his own entry. The puck just gets popped off Um I'm going to botch this last name. Scarbosa's last uh, Scarbosa's stick drops the John Carlson. John Carlson just kind of wheels in and then just beats Blackwood with a super stick shot. Like Ugh, New Jersey native John Carlson beats the devils uh, every other game. It seems. Yeah. He's well, Carlson's also super good. He's one yes. of the best defensemen in the league. It just hurts and, more because he's from New Jersey. Yeah. And he grew up as a devils fan. I know. I know. I was <sighs> screaming for his name to be called back in 2008, but they went with Matthias Tenenbaum. Look, you can't unspill the milk. But yeah, it was a it was a hurtful goal because the Devils were otherwise having a really good first period. But fortunately, the Devils regained their uh, two-goal lead less than a minute into the second period when Nico Heischer redirected in a shot by David Severson. It's now three to one. And the Devils really clamped down on, on the matter by keeping the Capitals to just five shots on net. It was maybe I mean, their best just, second period that they've played in two months. Oh, out of the season. Like, yeah. again, think of the situation. You're on the road. You're playing against the Washington Capitals, one of the best teams in the league. You know, this is a team that knows full well that if nothing else, they can attack. They even got a power play in this period, um, which which is the result of, again, some nonsense. Uh, Nick Dowd uh, and P.K. Subban got into it, and Subban got two, uh, an extra two minutes for it. Remember that Hamilton was not playing? 
Mm-hmm. So this meant the Devils were down to four defensemen for two two minutes, and you know you're giving Washington Washington Dan a power play. But and, they said an interesting thing in the game about Washington's power play, in that it's 28th in the NHL or something like that. It's somewhere between it's either 26th or 28th. I did not realize that it was that um, incompetent for what you'd expect because they've been missing Backstrom for a while. True, but at the same time, even if you don't score on your power play, they're going to be able to generate shots. Oh, they're still and, scary. Yeah, exactly. Ovechkin in the in the circle, and he did get it. He did get a one timer off. Uh, the fans jumped up, but it hit the outside of the net, thankfully. Um, so you know that that the fear was real, but the Devils acquitted themselves incredibly well, and they basically just locked down, defended the Capitals of all teams. Mm-hmm. Um, in that second period and everything was going well for the first 10 minutes of the third period. If anything, the devils were closer to making it four to four to one, as opposed to uh, giving up some goals. You had some one-on-one, you had a two on O with uh, Sharon Govich and Brat where uh, Carlson made a heroic effort. So Sharon Govich decided to shoot it and uh, Ilya Samsonov made a good save. You got open shots for Mercer. You got an open shot for Bokvist off a turnover, uh, an obscure turnover off Jack Hughes back. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you had some grade A opportunities to, you know, really put this game up, but Samsonov, you know, to his credit, uh, rebounded quite well from the early goals. Unfortunately, Dan, unfortunately, things went pear-shaped for <laughs> Mackenzie Blackwood with about seven minutes left in this game. And it's, I hate to say that because he was otherwise having a really good game. In the third period, I will say Washington picked up their offense. Mm-hmm. But Dan, w- would you like to go over this or do you want me to do? Yeah, damage? so I think this first goal, I, I blame less on Blackwood directly. I think this was just a very, very nice and unexpected play by um, Dowd where, yeah, maybe Blackwood should have that, but it's hard to expect him knocking it out of midair on his way to the goal. So that was a pretty fast play. Credit to Dowd there yeah. as well as expecting a little bit more from Blackwood. And it becomes three to two. And then uh, the Devils are still playing pretty well, but that's also in the two minutes that Jonas Siegenthaler was off the ice, uh, also getting hit in the face with a puck. Uh, He did return, though. He he did did return, return, but the Capitals took advantage of that brief moment where he wasn't present on the ice. So uh, go figure. But they then, um, you know, he comes back and the Devils are doing everything. It's seemingly going all right. And Mackenzie Blackwood trying to sweep a puck to the corner, completely fans on it, gives it away to... Uh, Eller, who has the easiest play to Sherry, who scores the easiest goal he'll score maybe in his career, the Capitals tie the game and you start thinking, well, they lost them eight times last year and once this year already. It's just predestined seemingly against this team and the Devils end up going to overtime after just an inexcusable gaffe from Blackwood. Yeah, that's the type of goal where if Elaine Nazardine, who was behind the bench again because Ruff is still in the COVID protocol, if he decided to put in Akira Schmidt after that goal, I wouldn't have blamed him for it. Like, mm-hmm. that's just an inexcusable turnover. Like, look, goalies are going to have bad games. Sometimes goalies give up bad goals. I mean, Mike Smith, you know, had an awful game. But that turnover from Blackwood, I literally don't understand how he did that. 99.9% of the time, the goaltender will sit on that puck they'll they'll crouch over it they'll freeze it um i don't know what and it's not like blackwood is a new goaltender in this league he's been in this league for quite a while he's been a pro goaltender for quite a while this was not even a major junior level mistake this was like a little kid 
I'm playing goaltender for the first time and I just got freaked out by the four check mistake. Just seems that like um, he fanned on it, plain and simple. It's just he he was not focusing on playing the puck. He was thinking of where it was going before he actually made contact and he gave that puck away. And um, it was one of those mistakes that you'd expect to be an absolute backbreaker. And it really could have been, and it mm-hmm. almost was, um, you know, again, the devils had an opportunity to win this game outright and the skaters were doing a good job. The defense was doing an incredible job considering they were down to five for the majority of the game. And, um, you know, they largely kept the capitals outside of the uh, high danger areas. I mean, according to um, natural stat trick, uh, the capitals only had uh, five and five on five play. And the majority of their shots were from the points. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not like the devil's defense got you know broken down um, like they have been in so many other games this season. So the devils put in a really good effort. And again, Samsonov was a big reason why the devils just didn't run away with the game. Cause there were some, you know, great chances for them to open it up even further but blackwood that's that type of turnover that's the kind of stuff that really just makes you wonder like what's going on but thankfully dan Mm -hmm. thankfully damon severson is i'm pretty sure he was fouled on the play but he he committed a terrible turnover in overtime that thankfully um got uh skied i want to say by orlov i'm trying to remember who who botched it for the capitals but somebody botched it for the capitals mm-hmm. so overtime continued and um we got to see some magic from, from the big deal the number one to the number one uh slid the puck through two players who are unaware of its presence there as nico heischer closes by shooting the puck far side the devils take the win in washington they're winners of three straight games Things are looking up. This is the first time in a long time we've been able to say that they've uh, swept the, um, you know, the, the stretch of games that we're recording between. But wow, uh, you would never expect it from the way that they let that game get tied, from the way that they had to battle back. I mean, when they battled back against Edmonton, it was deserved that they got that point, that extra point after how Edmonton scored their leading goal. This one yes. was completely self-inflicted. They don't deserve anything for this one, but they got it anyway. And now the Devils, six points in their last three games. Jack Hughes, eight points in his last three games. Uh, things are going very well as Jack Hughes has now moved to being a point-per-game player. Yeah, and, and on that overtime play, Dan, you know, I do want to emphasize that. Initially, the Devils were about to give up the puck off of not-so-great of a decision by Hughes. Um but Hughes made a Herculean effort to deny, you know, take away the puck. He had a lot of takeaways in this game. Like the cap, he was just picking capitals pockets left and right. You'd think mm. he was a lobbyist, but nevertheless, he, he wins the puck back to deny the three capitals rushing up ice against the one man back. And that's how Hughes was able to win that puck and then be able to find he in, in enough space because the capitals were bunched up one killer pass. And, you know, it's four to three New Jersey. Um, I'll say the Carolina hurricanes are very unhappy that the game went to overtime at all. Cause now Washington has control of first place because of the point, but nevertheless, the devils need to just make their season somewhat respectable at this point. And yeah, Hughes has been a huge part of these last three uh, wins on the score sheet and in the general run of play, even if he wasn't getting onto the score sheet, you knew that 86 is out there trying to make things happen similar to what we saw last season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, I mean, it was very noticeable. It's one of those takeaways are weird in that you sometimes in the regular run of play won't notice 
how many he does. In this game, you could see every single one. You could see the stick lifts. You can see him sneaking about. Um, several moments come to mind where he's just you can see how stealthy he is when he tries to do this. It, it's it's going to show up on the score sheet. And this time around, I would say it was so much more noticeable than um, in some games in the past because it led to some great opportunities for them. It led to a lot of pressure for the Devils. And uh, this sustained pressure that he and Sharon Govich are able to keep up as a pairing, it's been really fun to watch. And so hopefully they can keep it up in their slate of games this week, which should be what, John? Well, it doesn't get easier, Dan. It does not get easier. Four, on Tuesday, they will be visiting Boston. Now, for those who are about to say, hey, the Devils are just three points back of a playoff spot. First of all, stop doing that. You should always look at games played during the middle of the season. Boston has five games in hand. What are we talking about here? Not only does Boston have five (laughs) games in hand, but the Devils also have Columbus, Philadelphia, and Detroit in front of them. And oh, yeah, Philly and Columbus also have games in hand on the Devils. Yeah, like, let's Uh, uh, let's slow roll. It's also mathematically possible for the Islanders to catch the Devils because the Islanders have five games in hand as well. Plus, they don't have any games this week because they were all supposed to be in Canada and they're postponed. Mm -hmm. So the point I'm trying to say here is, you know, if you have the Devils hopes for the playoffs are still incredibly faint. However, if you would like them to see them become less faint, they're going to have to win in Boston. Good luck with that because Boston is a good hockey team Mm -hmm. and Boston has already beaten the devils pretty soundly the last time they met up. So I can't imagine that this game will go differently, but Hey, they beat the capitals today. So who knows? I mean, Hey, you never know. After their trip to Boston, they have a home and home non back-to-back thankfully against Columbus. You know, that one team, the devils have problems with most Mm -hmm. of the time. Well, Columbus who beaten the devils earlier this season through a shootout, the devils will get to play them again twice in a row columbus will try to salvage something resembling pride because on saturday dan they managed to go up four nothing on carolina and lose that game seven to four i don't even know how that happened but i was watching that score line and just every single goal that went in what was it between like 11 minutes left in the second period and seven minutes left in the third that let up all six that did the full swing yeah and Columbus has Tampa Bay on Tuesday while the Devils are in Boston. So it's entirely possible that Columbus is going to go into that home and home set in a really bad mood. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say that those two games are definitely not gimmies in any sense of the word. And then on the 10th, a rare Monday home game for the Devils, they will be hosting Tampa Bay. And yes, the Devils did beat Tampa Bay with an epic third period comeback way back in November. Mm-hmm. And yes, Tampa Bay can be prone to dropping some games on the road that maybe they shouldn't. But Tampa Bay is still a super good team. You doubt them at your own peril. I'm certainly not going to go into any of these next um, four games thinking the Devils have a really good chance at either of them, even if in theory they should hold up well against Columbus because Columbus is around the, where the Devils are in the standings. Yeah, well, we, we just know the historic matchup here. We've been burned one too many times against this team to expect. Oh, more. yeah. Yeah, I will believe it when I see it, Dan. That's pretty <laughs> yeah. much my mindset here. All right. So with those games uh, in tow and the knowledge that, um, you know, they, the Devils will probably be making up a lot of their postponed games and delayed games in, in that February. two-week break in February now. Um, now the NHL is officially not going to the Olympics. Uh, we we kind of just look ahead to the season, hope that they can catch up with the teams ahead of them in the playoff race. 
this is a good start. This is a good turnaround so far in some of their worst aspects. They managed to find ways to score some power play goals. Uh, the penalty kill is up to 14th in the NHL, which is very impressive for oh, where yeah. it started this stretch. So good for them fixing that aspect of their game very definitively. But all that being said, we'll look forward to how they navigate this next part of the schedule. John, anything else for today? things of note okay. uh first is a, a general psa for anybody going to the prudential center um if you are going to the prudential center now you must wear a mask and this is not just to get into the arena it's you must have a mask on unless you are actively eating or drinking and that is an edict from the city of newark mm-hmm. uh, the edict has gotten stronger in recent days they announced last week that as of uh January 9th to enter the Prudential Center for any event. So whether that's a Devils game, a concert, um, Seton Hall basketball, anything at the Prudential Center, you must have proof that you have received at least one vaccination shot. Mm -hmm. And as of February 9th, when that's going to be in the middle of when the Devils could be making up some games, um, you're going to have to be required to show proof of full vaccination. Now, the, the, the Prudential Center has updated their policies. Um, you know, bring your card, bring a picture of the card, use the Docket app. That's what I use. That's gone really well. Bring photo ID if you're over the age of 18. If you are over the age of five, you must have this proof of vaccination. And of course, you must still wear the masks. Um, the only exceptions they will grant is if you bring documented evidence signed by a medical professional stating that you cannot receive the vaccine because it will, you know, cause adverse effects to you for various reasons. And it must be documented by yourself and signed by your medical person. I'm saying this as a PSA to everybody. I understand not everybody's a big fan of this policy. You know, I understand it's annoying. I've been vaccinated. I've, I've got the booster shot, you know, but you know, I understand it's a pain. Do not take it out on the Prudential Center workers. They're just mm-hmm. trying to do their job. If you want to be mad at anybody, don't go to the game. Go across the block, across the street to City Hall and register your complaints with Newark because this is a Newark-defined policy. Mm-hmm. So I want to get that out of the way first because there are some home games coming up on the schedule and there are a couple in January that people may be looking forward to. Um, the second thing I want to highlight is that COVID is still very much a factor in a lot of things. You know, There's now taxi squads. Uh, they instituted the taxi squad up until the all-star break. So right now, Alexander Holtz, Nolan Foote, and Kevin Ball are on the taxi squad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lindy Ruff is in protocol, so he is not behind the bench. Thomas Tatar is still in protocol. He is not behind the, ben- uh, well, Gillies the bench. Gillies is taxi either. squad too, right? Gillis has been moved to the taxi squad because he has cleared protocol. He was not the backup goaltender of record uh, in Washington. Um, that was Schmied. So yeah, so Gillis is on protocol. I'm sorry, on the taxi squad as well. So look for that to be a factor, not just with the Devils, but also Devils opponents. I know the NHL has gone to great lengths to try to postpone games set in Canada for attendance reasons. This is notable because the Devils do have two games in Canada this month. They play in Montreal on the 15th and in Toronto on the 17th. If they're still capped out at a thousand fans maximum or no fans at all, the, the NHL might decide to push those games back. So just keep on the lookout for that. And, and as further reminders that COVID is still impacting the hockey world, the world junior championships were canceled. Uh, They're going to look to try and make them up later in the year. I don't know how or when they're going to do that. Um, 
Obviously, the women's under 18 championships were canceled. Any IIHF tournament in January was canceled. The WHL has now having postponed games. The OHL has had postponed games. The QMJHL is off until the 17th. So this pandemic is still a serious thing out there and still impacting the hockey. So as a final bit of this rant that I'm basically going on, I'm sure that Dan would like me to shut up at, at some point about is that appreciate the fact that the devils are playing games at all. Appreciate that you're still able to go to games. If you are able to go be smart out there and hope that the devils continue to win some games. So it isn't as dire as it was in December because my goodness, Dan, they were a doormat last month. Yeah. So after all that and knowing that they were a doormat, it seems that the break has really helped them. So I hope it continues to help them in a big way um, as they keep navigating 2022. And we look for that progress that we wanted to see um, going into this season in general. All right. So that being said, thank you again for listening. We appreciate your time. As usual, we appreciate your interest. It keeps us going on the podcast. So Uh, With that being said, we'll catch you next time after the Devils finish off the slate that we previewed. Let's go Devils! Go Devils!